The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. If you don't hear a fiddle or a steel guitar, a hillbilly singing by the honky-tonk bar, the bass ain't banging and the vocals are rough, brother, it ain't country, no. Welcome to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spies. I am your host, the Shale Play Prophet, the North Dakota Nomad, broadcasting from the Hatch Coaching Studios. Our entitled intern, Provolone, is manning the production elements of the podcast. Coming up on today's program, we've got a CARES Act being briefed right now by Senator John Hoven and Kevin Kramer. We are going to join that in just a moment or two. We're going to join that live provolone, giving me the thumbs up. Good deal. Look at us getting all into the live podcasting. Of course, you're not going to probably get it live. Well, you're not going to get it live. We're live. You're listening to the recorded version, which could be anywhere from, I don't know, a minute after we put it online to the next day, I guess. Some people are still listening to podcasts from a month ago because the content is still pretty good. But getting on today's program, let's get back. Let's stay focused here, Provolone, for crying out loud. We've got a fantastic program in store for you. We're going to talk a little bit about the CARES Act, some small business overview. And then Dr. Robert Nielsen, he's a semi-retired counselor, talks about the analysis of paralysis and how to work from home, grabbing a couple jobs, what it's going to be like working in retirement, that sort of thing. So it's, it's a pretty good little soft interview to kind of transition into this new normal we have. And Matthew Hill with Knight Energy comments on the recent request from the oil and gas companies asking service companies to cut their rates. Headlines, we're just going to listen to a little bit of Edward R. Murrow's famous speech about the illumination of the flickering lights in the box. Actually, it's really good in terms of, uh, it talks about television, but... At the same time, it's very relevant to the Internet. And at the end of the day, what is the Internet going to do? For me, I believe the Internet just is a conduit for people to become who they are faster. If you want to become a person that knows how to sew, well, the Internet can get you that information, the YouTube videos, the whole deal to teach you how to sew. And you can go a lot of different... For me, as a journalist, it's just... A font of information. I love it because I can do research right to the source, all kinds of different things, communications. So I like it for that reason. But Edward R. Murrow back in the day, and this is like in black and white day, so just to give you an idea how old this is, but he talks about how television, if it's not going to be used for anything but entertainment, then it's just flickering lights in a box. And he gets into a little bit of some advertising and sponsorships and a whole uh, different uh, line of things. So anyway, that's what today's headline is. He, Edward R. Merrill talks about the integrity of fake news, basically. So uh, what's next here, Provolone? Oh, our sponsor is next. Oh, great. We couldn't have timed that any better. All right, today's sponsor here. By the way, folks, if you'd like to sponsor our podcast, feel free to email jason at thecrudelife.com. We'll send you some information. But today it's Clark Energy Consulting. 
Clark Energy Consulting is an advisory firm that provides market research and commentary specifically for investing, consulting, and industry professionals focused in oil and gas. They advise on topics ranging from market and growth strategy to investment and risk analysis. Their goal is to develop lasting and rewarding relationships with their customers and friends. Now is a great time to get in touch with John Clark over at Clark Energy Consulting. Check out their website, ClarkEnergyConsulting.com. Of course, you can always go to our podcast show page, the Crude Life podcast show page, and check it out. The Crude Life 2020 March Madness Tournament is our featured event and will be till, I suppose, till it's done next week. Uh, we're in the Elite Eight, is that right? Or do we make it to the Final Four yet? Elite Eight is now available. Okay, so we've got the Elite ma- Eight matchups going. Uh, those are going to be sometime today and tomorrow. Uh, but the Sweet 16 is over. The Elite Eight is on, baby. All right, Blind Joe is our music today. We've got all kinds of things happening. And are we ready for the good senators? All right, Doug Burgum, Senator John Hoven, Senator Kevin Kramer. It looks like Kevin Kramer is going to be taking the podium here, folks. This is about the CARES Act happening. And we're just going to pipe this in because this is a federal CARES Act, and I think the information is going to be relevant across Shale Play USA. All right, this is U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer. Provolone, go ahead and pass. I to ask you, Senator Kramer, um, about uh, oil, some of the work that you're doing specifically um, about oil right sure. now. And, you know, you just alluded to some of the work that you've been doing trying to, you know, press Saudi Arabia on these issues. Have you seen any any success and progress on their part in moving that direction? Yeah, I would say, th- thanks for the question, I would say the most successful thing I've seen is the president's tone this morning after his call with um, Vladimir Putin was encouraging because um, if you couldn't tell um, I was sensing some I was sensing some um, I don't know I guess passiveness about about that from the administration obviously low gasoline prices everyone loves them if you could only drive somewhere it would they'd be great but um, you know it's it's not much of a it's not much of an economic boom uh, when there's nowhere to go so um, I think that the president reaching out to the crown prince was encouraging, when pre- reaching out to Vladimir Putin was encouraging. Um, probably one of the most encouraging things was last week, uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo called the crown prince uh, of the kingdom and uh, had a, a, a strong conversation with him. I will tell you, however, that at $20 roughly a barrel, there is real urgency to this, and so I've pressed everybody from the White House on down on on the matter, including uh, I, I helped set up a phone call with the uh, the uh, Saudi ambassador to the United States. Senator Hoven was on that call. Um, there was not there were not many punches held back, Senator, as I recall, including his. Um, and we've had constant contact with our ambassador. I also just add, to add a little bit to it, some of the other things we've done is uh, I led a letter to the president uh, suggesting a um, um, embargo of Saudi oil. I, I wrote a personal letter to the president asking him to consider, um, you know, uh, tariffs on on OPEC oil. Just in, in case people wonder, you know, I know we're energy dominant, we're a net exporter, but we do still import about, you know, roughly six million or more barrels of oil per day from other countries, including Saudi Arabia. Uh, we learned, I learned last week from a, a company that a major U.S. company is changing their refineries to accept Saudi Arabian oil. 
that's not okay. This is an America first battle cry. And so um, I think we, we have to use these emergency powers to insist that our, not, not only our producers, but that our, uh, everybody in the value chain understands the importance of, of this. So, um, but the most encouraging thing is that the president seems to have stepped up his rhetoric a little bit and in his um, demands of the, of the crown prince, or of uh, Vladimir Putin, I'm sorry. Senator, I actually also have a question referring to uh, some of your wording earlier. Uh, you referred to Saudi Arabia as friends. Uh, national intelligence agencies say that they've killed Americans and gone relatively unpunished. How is Saudi Arabia our friends? Yeah, so really great question. And um, the question was, how is Saudi Arabia a friend? I referred to them as a friend. They are considered an ally. They're a very important ally, ally in the Middle East when it comes to certain bad actors. Uh, they've been helpful um, in the war on terror. They've been especially helpful in the war or in, in um, fighting back against Iran's aggression. But... But um, they, they're a uh, reluctant ally in, in sort of a circumstantial ally in many cases, shall we say. Uh, I, told I told the State Department today, do not bring another bill to the United States Senate that in any way advocates for Saudi Arabia or suggests or opposes or asking us to oppose legislation aimed at either condemning or punishing Saudi Arabia. Uh, the uh, Being their friend is a... Is a is a tough place to be sometimes. And um, like I said earlier, we are literally putting American military men and women in harm's way to protect oil assets in Saudi Arabia while they wage war against our oil assets and our oil jobs in this country. And uh, it shouldn't be tolerated. This one's for you and for Senator Hoven. I'm just wondering why you guys aren't self-isolating after coming back from D.C. when Representative Armstrong is. Well, a couple of, so great question. I'm, you're close enough to the mic. Maybe they heard it. But why aren't we self-isolating? So a couple of reasons. First one is, at least at the time we left there last week, um, Washington, D.C. wasn't a hotspot. I don't know if they are listed as one now. They're not. Um, so they're not one of the states slash territories slash districts, I guess, um, that's uh, problematic in terms of travel traveling from there. Second of all, I think Representative Armstrong had to endure a very unfortunate situation in having to go back to vote um, with a number of his colleagues. The Senate is only 100 of us to begin with. Um, we were pretty much exercising self-isolation while we were there, um, voting by, you know, just like we are now, staying six feet apart, uh, social distancing was well exercised in the United States Senate while we were there. Um, and Representative Armstrong had to, like I said, go back and vote in the chamber thanks to the reckless behavior of one member, uh, somebody who um, should have known better. Uh, and so a couple of hundred or more, they had to have a quorum in the room to vote. They all had to be in there at the same time to vote. Even a voice vote required that. And uh, so I think out of an abundance of caution, he's doing the, the appropriate thing. We don't, didn't have the same circumstance. I heard from somebody who kind of feels stuck in the middle here between all the programs and, and new benefits here. Um, what do state, what, or what state and federal resources are available to people who are maybe self-employed or sole proprietors that have seen their business drop to basically zero, and do they qualify for unemployment benefits? Well, th this is uh, why we've got to keep digging in and getting uh, more information up uh, through, through job service and 
through FAQs because these guys have done such a great job. I'll maybe let some of these guys comment, but they've expanded the benefits for sole proprietor and self-employed in ways that's never been done before. That, that's and, the right answer. Okay. It's the pandemic unemployment assistance program. Self-employed. Hey, come on up to the microphone here, you guys. Come on up, Jim. The group you're asking. Everybody you're so, asking. Yeah, the one, it's called the pandemic unemployment assistance program. It's self-employed, independent contractors, and uh, those... Uh, with limited work history who would be unable to work due to COVID-19. Sorry? That's part of the, the stimulus package. Yes. Yeah. But, I, I, but I would also, Jeremy, that also applies to the Paycheck Protection Act. So if you're a sole proprietor or a sub-S with, with a few, you know, just a few employees, 1099, we, we still want people to stay in business. We still prefer them to have a paycheck as opposed to an unemployment insurance check, uh, if that's at all possible. That was the goal of it, uh, as you might have heard and the governor referenced. I mean, there's some controversy over the perverse incentive of a very generous unemployment insurance program. Um, even though it's largely run state by state, uh, this bill was generous for good reason. I mean, the, the, the main goal of the bill was to get money in the hands of of consumers and, and spending, but the first goal is to keep them employed. So all of those same people that that qualify for that insurance, unemployment insurance, also qualify for the Paycheck Protection Program. The question was, if you're unemployed due to COVID-related, absolutely you apply under the new bill for unemployment. Yeah, I mean, that, that was actually in the second bill, the phase two bill we passed started that, and then we added more to it in phase three. And there's an additional 13 weeks of unemployment insurance beyond what the state typically provides to make sure those folks are covered. It's a great question though, because I said a little bit ago, the program's largely run by states and every, all 50 states have their own set of rules for qualifying for, for you know, but this bill did relax a lot of that and tried to create a more universal and you know, missing work because you've, you have to because you've either contracted the disease or you have been in contact is eligible in, in all states. You know, I'd add one more point on that. One more point on the unemployment insurance. We tried to set it up to, to try to keep businesses and employees together. That, that was the goal. So the unemployment insurance benefit, that $600 is provided on top of, of what the state typically provides. What we were going to try to do was make sure that you earned basically what you would have earned had you been able to stay employed. But we couldn't do it because every state has its own unemployment insurance system. So we ended up, you know, having to pick a number. For some states, you know, it would be lower because they're really high wage states. For others, it will be higher. But that's why it worked out that way, which, which isn't perfect, you know, um, because our first goal was to keep employers and employees together. But that being said, it, it certainly provides a benefit that's, that's going to help people. And at the end of the day, that, that's what this is about, is helping people you know, get through this coronavirus uh, pandemic. And that was U.S. Senator John Hoven and also U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer. If you'd like to listen to the entire press conference, go to thecrudelife.com. We have the links available there. All right, folks, a little bit of a coffee break here, like a, about a 45-second, 60-second coffee break for me to take a swig or two, run, heat it up, do all that stuff. We're going to give you a little blind Joe to listen to. Also mention one of our sponsors coming up. We'll be back in 60 seconds. Oh, yeah, Dr. Robert Nielsen, Matt Hill, Night Energy, all kinds of stuff still to come. Stick around, folks. Provolone, you ready? I'm ready. What else? Check, check, check. All right, 60 seconds. 
To listen to the full-length interview, visit thecrudelife.com. You better make a little room at the top for a regular Joe. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. I all and jamming for all my friends. That's you, Jason. And you'll hear me say from a mile away that I'm the luckiest man I know. You better make a little room at the top for a regular Joe. Welcome back to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for joining us. We have Provolone, our entitled intern man in the production elements of the podcast. We're coming to you from the Hatch Coaching Studios. Coming up in just a moment, uh, our Bach and Barbecue phone lines. Matthew Hill is going to be our daily radio update here on the podcast. And up next, our interview with Dr. Robert Nielsen is actually a face-to-face one that we recorded before the coronavirus took over. So a lot of what we're talking about, of course, is just the transition from retirement into a semi-retirement role. I'm sorry, working into a semi-retirement, into retirement, which is pretty applicable today with the transition into the home office. And a lot of people in the energy industry, 70% will be retired by the year 2022. Who knows now with the stock market the way it is and with the energy prices the way it is. A lot of those guys that were ready to go into retirement may uh, have to wait a couple years now. We'll see. Dr. Robert Nielsen is our guest. Provolone, let's go ahead and start the interview, if you would, please. My name is Bob Nielsen, and I am a licensed clinical counselor in North Dakota and a uh, certified counselor supervisor in both Minnesota and North Dakota. Uh, And I had uh, worked at NDSU as a counselor educator and coordinated the counselor education program there for many years. I just retired after 42 years of work at NDSU as a counselor educator and currently have a business, clinical business of my own, Nielsen Counseling. I've been doing that for the last couple of years. All right, so you you were at NDSU for how long? 42 years. 42 years, and... My understanding is the program, or you, or both, won awards through those 42 years? Well, the program was accredited uh, by KCREP, which is the National Accreditation for Counselor Education Programs. And the last time we had the accreditation team come in, they were uh, going through our program with the fine-tooth comb for uh, three days. There were three people uh, from the KCREP organization doing that. And when they uh, completed, we had met all of the standards necessary, and they indicated that a really good counselor education program usually missed about 8 to 10, maybe 12 of those standards, and we didn't miss any. They actually indicated that we have probably one of the very best small counselor education programs in the United States. So I was very proud of that as the coordinator of that program. And um, obviously that um, did wonders for NDSU and their image in the program, right? Well, it's one of those small programs at NDSU that is really uh, exceptional. And a lot of people don't even know about many of those small programs that are, um, such as polymer encoding, for instance, uh, one of the best in the world. And a lot of people don't know that. At NDSU? Yes. Polymer encoding? Yeah. So you got counseling, polymer coating, ag. Yeah, pharmacy. I mean, there's a number of programs there that are really uh, exceptional. All right. Now, I also heard you were, um, 
recognized in uh, certain small towns USA because of your hockey experience? <laughs> what's, what's that? Now, t- talk to me about your hockey background. Well, I, um, I grew up in Cloquet, Minnesota, and I played hockey and uh, football there. I went to Concordia College for my uh, bachelor's degree, and I played uh, football and hockey there also. I was uh, part of the national championship football team in 1964, so you can tell my age. Um, and I was a captain and player coach, actually, for the um, hockey team at uh, Concordia. Um, at India, I started the program, the, the high school hockey program in Botano, North Dakota, and there were only eight teams at the time, so they had eight teams in the uh, state tournament, so we were one of the <laughs> eight teams in the state tournament. You got uh, in by default, huh? We, we did. That's absolutely true. Uh, and then at NDSU, uh, we started a club team, and, and Dave Morinville was uh, instrumental as a coach, and I was the faculty advisor. And in the first uh, eight years that I was faculty advisor, we did win seven national championships. At NDSU? Yeah. So NDSU has seven national championships in, in club, club hockey. hockey. <laughs> Not hockey, club hockey. Right. That's funny. Uh Okay, so you mentioned your uh, year, so you, you brought up your age, and you mentioned player coach. I kind of wrote that down quickly, and then uh, your NDSU, you were a pioneer, really, um, with that program. You brought it to new areas. With the counselor education With the counselor program. education, so you were a trailblazer in there. The reason I'm writing those things down is because you're, you're retired now. You're, you're past retirement age. Correct. I am 73. Okay, so you're past retired. Is it 65, 62, 67? It depends on your health care? Yeah. yeah <laughs> depends I, on your health care policy? I could have retired many years before I did. I didn't because I really loved the work I was doing, and I was still doing a good job. Yeah, so so, so I, I'm writing this stuff down because you, you, you um, like a lot of people, you work in retirement. But you're not greeting at Walmart or you know bagging groceries, you know st- stressless jobs. But you're those actually, jobs, I really honor those jobs. For well, people, you you know? do one of those. You're a ranger. I actually do. Yeah, yeah you're, you're a ranger at a golf course because you like to golf and you get a discount. Yes, I am. I'm a ranger at Wildflower uh, Golf Course in Minnesota. A really beautiful uh, course has uh, the logo right on the coffee cups we had before us. That's right. <laughs> You're at the uh, Palatius Palace and one of the many, uh, one of the lakes, one of the 10,000 lakes in Minnesota. Where That's where we're actually doing the interview right now uh, with Dr. Bob Nielsen. And we're transitioning uh, into a retirement portion where he's actually working. He has his uh, kind of a social, um, you know, I'll, I'll get some discounts on golf. It's my hobby job. Which again is like bagging groceries or greeting at uh, Walmart is the kind of the iconic one, which really means stress free. You know, it's it's a way to socialize. You get you don't have a lot of stress. But you're continuing with your counseling, small business now. I wrote down player coach. I wrote down uh, trailblazing because it seems like you always had that wiring done to where. Uh, it was always going to be in your future anyways. You were going to continue to do what you loved. And so you are doing a small business of counseling now. Yes, I am. And I'm uh, very uh, happy with how that goes. I kind of go by one of the uh, philosophies that I have, and that is if the job is worth doing, it's worth doing right. Yeah. And uh, uh, I'm uh, quite successful in my private work, have a good reputation, so I I do have uh, a lot of referrals from uh, individuals in our community, professional individuals such as physicians uh, who have um, uh, <clears throat> patients 
who they have prescribed anti-anxiety medication, and then they refer them to me to get them off those anti-anxiety medications through the process of counseling. And it's been uh, very effective. You know, that's actually um, a new science that I'm, by new, 10, 15 years old, I guess, that I, I haven't revisited, but I know in nursing homes, they were having uh, people engage with people early experiencing dementia to try to combat the, the medication. Okay. So it's interesting how they're trying to rewire the brain, if you will. It in, is. In order to get away from the, the crutch of medication. Yes, and actually how we think does determine how we feel. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's the cognitive behavioral process. Uh, we also have to act on the new positive thinking that uh, hopefully is taking over some of the uh, old negative thinking. And an easy way to, I guess, example would be I get to or I have to. Just simple okay. things like that is kind of the rewiring yeah. of your outlook in your brain. Yeah, I get to. I use it. Uh, I want to. Um, changing. Uh, I, I want to do this instead of I have to do this. Mm -hmm. I want to do this interview. I mean, I don't have to do this interview. Right. But I want to do the interview. It puts a positive slant on it. See, and I get to. Oh, there you are. There, I want to. There you I, go. I guess I don't need to, but I get to. You get to because you've made uh, the inroads into it in mm -hmm. order to be able to get to do it. Yeah, there's, you know, and there are a lot of uh, interviews I get to do. And I say that because, you know, one of, the, one of the things I've been very fortunate is I've been able to interview heavyweights in, in industries, you know. And I look at yourself here, Dr. Bob Nielsen, and the things you've done have been very monumental throughout your career. You've got some excellent landmarks. Um, Talk to me about your current business now because you have this wealth of knowledge. You know, you don't need to do what you're doing. You don't need to. You, you, you're at the retirement age. You like to do it. Is your drive that you're a workaholic or that you like to uh, change people? Well, it's certainly not that I'm a workaholic at this stage in my life. I, um, I only see four to six clients. I mean, that's not like workaholism. <laughs> it's uh, a, really a challenge, and it has very fruitful rewards for me. Talk about egoism or altruism, right? I'm not necessarily altruistic. I'm not just giving of my services, but I really benefit a lot from giving of my services, and that's the egoistic part of it. So I might be an egoistic altruist or altruistic egoist, but uh, everybody, I think, really needs to feel as though um, they're doing a service in order to feel good. I think they and have a very positive feeling about that, at least healthy people. Uh, have mm -hmm. that need and uh, it, it gives me a really good way of meeting that need for me because there's nothing better than for me to have a client come back or meet me in Walmart or someplace you know mm -hmm. and, and say oh hey Dr. Bob I want to tell you the things that uh, we talked about two years ago I'm living by <laughs> as a matter of fact I had one just not too long ago who uh, grabbed me and I, you remember me well yeah I remember I can't remember your name I'm sorry they told me the, the name and they said one of the things you said is something that stuck with me and uh, it has made a difference in my life and I said well what was that I'm really kind of curious he said <clears throat> said that you can't unscramble eggs and 
I said, okay, what does that mean to you then? He said, well, when I come to things that are a mess, I realize that it's a mess and I need to accept that more and I can't change it because it's not changeable. And in accepting it and then moving on, it's just given me a new life. And I thought, hmm, just little things like that sometimes make such a huge difference. Cannon scramble eggs. Cannon scramble eggs, well, that, that brings up a, a good transition to the importance of counseling or workplace stress, if you will. Um, and that's actually one of the main reasons why I'm glad that uh, you agreed to do this interview, because the one thing we like to, to really highlight is in economic development, there is such a critical need for a work-life, personal-life, stress-life balance. Absolutely. Otherwise, the whole system falls apart. Well, the stress gets high. Yeah. Well, and then and then eventually, what happens with stress? It fractures and cracks and breaks. Yep. So you you can have a good run for ten years, twenty years, fifty years, but when you base things on stress and you can't find that balance, well, look at the Roman Empire. That that was that was very stressful at times, and it cracked. And then you take a look at you know like a lot of uh, I don't know India for example. They, they they've worked very hard on the balance of things and they seem to be doing okay over the long period of time, you know, versus yes. things collapsing and cracking. So, um first off, before we get into the importance of counseling and work, do you guys talk about that as far as when you're selling a tire, you can kick it, you can feel it, it's a tangible object. When you're selling counseling, how it's intangible. No. How, you know, it's this unscrambling eggs has a good value to that gentleman, but to someone else, it has no value. Absolutely. So how do you sell the intangibleness of the importance of de-stressing and counseling? Well, one of the uh, things that I continue to do is a workshop from time to time when uh, organizations will contact me and hire me to, to do them. Uh, like the family service system hired me a while back, uh, not that long ago. And <clears throat> I start out by indicating that uh, stress management is probably the, well, I, I believe it is the most important thing for people to learn. And uh, they wonder about that because of their jobs. They think that things that they have on their job are more important. And, and I, I don't necessarily believe that because if they don't manage their stresses properly, the things on their job, like you said, are going to crack. If things uh, get too high stress, we don't operate very well on high stress, which is really called distress. Um, it's where we make mistakes. Um, it's almost like we take our eyeballs and pop them out of our head and turn them around and we're playing this little record in our brain uh, about all the negative things that have gone on and the stress gets so high it's like the bucket is so full of water that when you get a little bit more on it, it overflows and when you overflow the bucket that's like the mistakes you make uh, or <clears throat> um, you have accidents I did a farm uh, uh, workshop and it was kind of interesting milk producers frankly they came in and uh, it was in the morning and they still had boots on and, and all that kind of stuff which was good but just before I went on they had a farm accident um, individual showing pictures of some pretty gruesome farm accidents and I couldn't help but think that those accidents were occurring because they were concerned about other things that they uh, weren't doing right at that moment and they lost track of um, some machinery or something and, and had uh, really some horrendous accidents. And 
The um, session I had after that uh, really went well because there are all kinds of uh, questions that I love uh, uh, to get from the audience has become very interactive. So like the, the, the price of corn yeah. has got their, their mind going and the simple automated task that they've done mundanely for the last thousand days, they took their eye off the ball one time. That's all it takes. And that's all it takes. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And that's why, you know, I make the point that uh, managing the stresses and be able to disengage in order to engage, disengage in the things that are in the background in your head that are, quote, worrisome. And I have a, uh, a definition of that also. But if we're concerned with those things that we would call worry when we're doing the things that you're just talking about, and for one instant uh, kind of lose track of what's going on, you, you see it for people in auto accidents all the time. Mm -hmm. um, they're thinking about an argument they might have had with their spouse driving down the road, and they go through a stop sign and have an accident because their eyeballs are focusing on their accident, not on the road. So... When we talk about stress in a, in a workplace, and um, a lot of it is passive-aggressive stress in a workplace. Okay. Well, everybody's got to go through the happiness machine and, you know, be nice and, and that sort of thing. There's a certain expectation of um, um, yeah, demeanor and, uh, and hap I call it the happiness machine. Uh, where, you know, how's your day? Oh, it's fantastic. Maybe, it's, maybe you're not having a good day, but you say that. So it, it percolates, it percolates and that sort of thing. Um, do people, is it harder for people to um, have these conversations in workplaces through your clients that you've seen over time? Is it increasing, decreasing? Do you not have an opinion on it? Meaning, can you pu pull your boss aside and say, I screwed up? Can you pull your boss aside without the fear of getting fired or making more stress in your in your job? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. And some people are pretty good at that, and others are very um, poor at uh, at that. The ones that are not good at that are also then telling themselves some things that are negative. They're saying my boss isn't going to understand, or my boss is going to be angry with me, or you know it's going to have a, a bad view of what it is that I'm doing. Uh, I don't want them to know that. Uh, and that's unfortunate because uh, that causes more stress. They're hiding things that um, they're carrying around with them instead of being able to get them out. Uh, natural repair mechanism is actually talking uh, in an emotional way uh, about the things that are going on in one's life. Maybe they can't do that with their boss. It might be that the boss is somebody that uh, would be very critical of them, and they've figured that out, but they should have somebody. Mm -hmm. that they can do that with uh, a trusted friend is sometimes pretty good. Although, in many cases, uh, a, a good counselor is probably the best because it's so confidential. Well, and that was the next thing I wanted to bring up is that um, counseling is now being covered by insurances, isn't it, by some? Absolutely. So talk to me about that because that wasn't always that way. I mean, <laughs> no. that, that, that's quite a statement by healthcare providers to mm -hmm. say we value preventative medicine like in this way? Well, yeah, and it hasn't always been that way. And I'm not so sure that um, the insurance agents 
agencies uh, really like that, although I think they're finding that it's extremely valuable to do that because the preventative does really make a big difference. People don't end up in the hospital for various different things. I mean, stress is really the killer of today, but, uh, you know, they end up in the hospital for a heart attack or a stroke or <clears throat> maybe even cancer that, that might not have been the issue if they had been able to manage their stresses. So the insurance agent uh, or companies uh, are on board with that. And I'll just say with North Dakota, <clears throat> um, must be about 20 years ago now, a number of uh, people, including myself, were instrumental, actually, in getting third-party pay mandated by the legislature of North Dakota so that the insurance companies uh, were forced, actually, to pay um, credentialed counselors with a license uh, to get third-party pay at a, a pretty good uh, uh, pay. I mean, it's, right now, it's over $180 an hour. Okay. I'm being very dumb here, and I'm not trying to be political, but when, when I look at, I, I believe stress is the number one killer, right? Okay, that, I think so. Yeah. I mean, no, I, 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 believe, I believe that's documented. Okay. Like, that is the number one killer, stress. And It doesn't show up on the death certificate. No, it doesn't, but <laughs> as far as doctors are concerned, is I believe that that is actually documented somewhere. Um, within, it's documented in much research. Right, yep. with, with, with many physicians and yep, that sort of right. thing. So when you're talking about ways to de-stress people, I have a hard time um, um, understanding where the resistance comes with covering it under insurance. It was kind of like um, when the debate was for health clubs. You know, I, I thought it was a great idea to re actually have a, a reduction of your premiums if you could prove you could go to a health club five days a week that okay. sort of thing to prove that you were kind of engaging in some healthy activity sure uh going above and beyond type of a thing but uh, within your industry what was the pushback what was the pushback against de-stressing people to make them healthier overall well um the insurance companies are basically set up for medical concerns and physical medical concerns for physicians and um, reactive reactive exactly you, you cut you get stitches <clears throat> yeah okay yeah um and there was a um philosophy i think by the insurance companies that um clinical counselors clinical social workers addiction counselors um <clears throat> We're doing a job that uh, wasn't going to pay off for them to insure, frankly. Now, like I said earlier, they, I think most of the insurance companies have recognized that since it's been mandated, um, there probably are a lot less individuals who are running up big hospital or medical bills um, that would have been there in the past. So I think there are more coming on board now are still not 100 percent, but i think they're recognizing the benefits of good counseling services and in so it means that the individuals that are providing those have to have good backgrounds and good reputations do you get um you know we've been talking about the importance of counseling and the health benefits do you have any companies that pay for somebody's 
counseling because they look at it as they might be a more productive employee. Has that ever come up in the, in the past? Sure, employee assistant programs is really what it's called. And uh, Oh, there's a, lot, a program, okay. Yeah, there's a program for many companies uh, are enrolled in that, and, and they have certain providers, uh, like, for instance, in North Dakota or, like, say, Fargo, um, the village is uh, very big on uh, the employee assistance programs. The thing about that, there are certain regulations and rules that each of the different uh, employees have, um, like how many sessions will the individual um, be able to have under that program uh, and things like that. Dollar cap, that sort of thing? Yeah. yeah okay. Um, Paralysis of analysis. Uh, you got any advice for people on how to get uh, unstuck in their life? <laughs> well, first of all, I think that some of us counselors might have paralysis of analysis because, because I think there are certain counselors that really look at analyzing their clients or patients and then start working with the analysis rather than with the person. And that becomes kind of a negative thing. The diagnosis, for instance, is really meant to give the individual, the, the professional, a way of looking at a, uh, a certain condition uh, and uh, having a background in how that certain condition may be able to be alleviated or at least help move away from that. Uh, but if they focused on just that diagnosis, they're really doing a disservice to their client. Um, the foundation of any good counseling is the relationship between the counselor and the client. It's not the diagnosis. How about if somebody's uh, um, stuck in their job? Mm -hmm. If they came to you and said, you know what, my, my marriage is okay, but my job is just, I'm creatively not there. Mm -hmm. It doesn't inspire me anymore. What do you tell them? I really don't tell them anything. I ask them uh, to, to talk with me more about it. Like I said earlier, um, the health benefits of counseling is that individual needs to use their natural repair mechanisms. And talking about how they feel is one of the best ways of using it. I mean, they have the uh, opportunity and the uh, ability in most cases to do that. Many times we have to um, get underneath some things like, for instance, anger. I'm really angry at my boss. Well, um, anger is, to me, a secondary emotion. And there's something else underneath that, and we have to get to whatever it is underneath that. Maybe it's a, a lack of security in the job, or maybe it's, uh, and they're concerned about their boss firing them, or you know, things like that. Um, we have to get below to be able to give them an opportunity to talk about their real feelings that are being covered up. Anger covers up a lot of really more deep-seated feelings. Now, I think personally, anger is uh, an offshoot of fear. Yeah. Like you've got two emotions, love and fear, and everything is an offshoot of that. That's, that's okay. how I kind of look at well, life. That's interesting. Yeah. Philosophy, and I don't disagree. Yeah, and I'm not saying it's right or anything, but that's just kind of how I've, uh, uh, over my years, I've kind of, when you boil it down, right? Because that's what you yeah. try to do. You, you, you always try to find the root of the problem. You always try to, you know, boil it down. And I found that pretty much everything starts there. You know, okay. and, and for me, you know, but uh, and that's a lot of it. Uh, fear. Um, fear comes from a lot of different mm -hmm. directions. It can be coming from some externals, but 
You know, when you come right down to it, we're our own worst enemy, and the fear that we have is something that's really more internal. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, like I said uh, earlier, worry, for instance. If worry is sort of a fear of what's going to happen in the future. And worry is just something that we do about something that we don't do anything else about at that time. And it just uh, um, kind of reverberates through our system, and it uh, heightens the anxiety to the point where the person really does have difficulty maintaining um, their healthy attitude toward anything in life. Mm -hmm. All right, so you're, you're um, kind of quasi-retired, and you're also a professional counselor, Dr. Bob Nielsen. Are you looking for any new business? Do you? I mean, I know you guys are pretty, pretty controlled. I mean, your schedules are. You do you do it on purpose. You know, it's kind of like a fitness instructor you can only do so many hours in a day. A massage person can only massage so many uh, people because their hands can only take so much in a day. Your guys' mind can probably tack, tackle so many problems in a day. Well, and there again, we get to the philosophy that I have. We, have, we need to be able to disengage in order to engage. We need to be able to disengage in some very emotional uh, concerns that we have uh, uh, in our office with, with a client. That person leaves, and then maybe uh, half an hour later, another client comes in. We better be ready for the other client and completely disengage from the first one. It doesn't mean we don't care mm -hmm. about that first client. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means that we're not dealing with that client anymore, and we, we need to get it out of our head in order to get into our head what's going on with the client that we're actually working with. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, you said <laughs> you ask if I'm looking for more business. Well, I mean, I'm always open uh, for referrals. However, like I said, I only see four to six clients. That's pretty limited. I'm very fortunate to have you know the opportunity to only see that many because it gives me a chance to really be able to get to know the few I have. Um, but on the other hand they usually do quite well and they aren't uh, in to see me for too many sessions. So if I have a client within four to eight sessions, they're ready to be on their own, um, then I have another opening. Mm -hmm. So I always have openings coming up. Uh, right now I, I don't, but I probably would in another two weeks to a month, I probably would again. You know, talk about North Dakota. I look at it this way. You talked about being stuck. Here's an individual who's out with their <coughs> car, and they take, they're out hunting, okay? Mm -hmm. And they take a dirt road, and they get uh, into an area where the dirt road um, got a little too muddy, and they get their car stuck, okay? They're spinning their wheels like crazy. Okay, that's like a person who's got high stress, okay? And they tell themselves, well, I can get out, I can get out. And this, um, okay, big Steiger tractor comes by and the guy gets out because, you know, North Dakota, Minnesota, nice and says, hey, uh, do you want me to give you a pull? And they say, no, 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 I'll get it. No, no, I'll get it. All they need is to get a pull. You know, mm -hmm. all they need is a little help uh, along the line. Get the Steiger, hook them up, pull them out. They're on their own again, okay? Well, it's kind of like counseling. You, you can get a little pull and get out, and you're on your own again. That's why I don't see clients over a long period of time very often. I hope I can look at myself as a stagger tractor, and I hope that they're saying, yeah, you know, hook on. And you know what? they got to put it in gear, too. 
they can't just sit there. They got to, you know, we're pulling all backwards. Mm-hmm. They got to have it in reverse and go back to where they were and then start over in a different, in a different way. And sometimes when you don't have a Steiger tractor around, you need three buddies to push you. There you go. You know, I mean, yeah. hey, just to add your story a little bit. That's it, good because that's a good analogy. Well, yeah, because sometimes you might not have the big powerful thing around, yeah. so you need three average things to just kind of push you along and that sort of thing. And, yeah. You know, because that can work. You know, life's a journey type of a thing, so why not? Well, the only thing I have to say about that is my bias, and that is that even three um, buddies. Uh, may not be able to pull you out where the Steiger could. Right, that's what I mean. It's, <laughs> it's kind of, you know. It's, yeah. It's, uh, so any final thoughts? Anything we missed? Anything you might want to reiterate? Uh, be sure you plug your business again and that sort of thing. So we, I, I always give guests the, the final the final throw. So. Well, Nielsen Counseling does operate out of West Fargo um, in, in an office that is very comfortable, very confidential. Um, and, uh, yeah, I am glad we had the interview, but mainly just because I hope others benefit from just listening. Um, but if somebody needs to contact me, the best way is just through a telephone call. And do uh, you want me to give that number? Sure, if you want. I mean, okay. you know, go ahead. Sure. Um, it's 701-361-4176. And it's Dr. Robert C. Nielsen. I go by Dr. Bob mainly because my students at NDSU kind of took that up and some of my clients are thinking that's kind of fun. So, And um, I guess we'll end the interview on, uh, how big was the northern you caught the other night? <laughs> oh, I live on Lake Lida, uh, out of Pelican Rapids, Minnesota. And I was out buzz uh, baiting for bass, which means I'm pulling a, uh, a lure across the surface of the water that's kind of buzzing along and looking for some largemouth or smallmouth bass. And I get uh, a pretty good hit close to the boat. It's a really big splash. And, Takes off on me, and a few, well, 15 minutes later, I finally land a northern. That is the biggest one I've caught. And since I've lived in uh, uh, the lake, I lived on the lake, uh, it was almost uh, 20 pounds. And that's not as big as the one I have on the wall, but I got that up in the boundary waters of Minnesota, Canada. And that's almost twice as big as that. But 20 pounds, and that was from the, the biggest one you caught on your lake? That's the biggest one I caught on this lake, yeah. Um, okay. And I was just uh, How many inches? this week. 40. 40 inches, yeah. 20, 20 pounds. Almost 20, yeah. And you were just trying to catch a smallmouth or largemouth it, bass yeah. to pass the time. Well, and that's what I'm saying uh, you did also. The balance. We have to have things that are, are fun. Uh, freedom, fun, belonging. Um, you know, they're, they're all very important to us. Um, and you got to have fun things to do in your life. Um, you get that time to disengage from the other things and engage in things that you can really focus on and concentrate on. When you're throwing a bassler, you got to be concentrating on, you know, where you're going to hit uh, and how, how to pull it in. And once you get a fish on the line, you know, you're not thinking about, for me, I'm not thinking about my clients. You know, I'm thinking about what to do in order to get them in the nest. That's where that goes. All right. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. It's been fun. To listen to the full-length interview, visit thecrudelife.com. But now I'm back at the bar again, hanging out with all my rowdy friends, getting drunk and singing redneck songs. I'll probably stay here, baby, all night long. Pour me a beer and a 
The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Ice cold whiskey glass. Hanging out with friends and having a blast. My mom and dad think it's a waste of time. Not anymore. Drinking beer and riding redneck rhymes. I think I'll do it just as long as I can. That's why I'm back at the bar again. And that's going to do it for today's episode of the Crude Life Podcast, folks. Thank you very much for joining us here. U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer and John Hoven giving us an overview of the CARES Act. Dr. Robert Nielsen, semi-retired counselor. Also, Matthew Hill, Knight Energy, still to join us here. We're going to hand off the baton in just a moment or two to Matthew Hill with Knight Energy commenting on the recent request, the public request from oil and gas companies asking service companies to cut their prices. Also, uh, links are available at our website. Our sponsor for today's program is Clark Energy Consulting. They're an advisory firm providing market research and commentary specifically for investment consulting and industry professionals focused in oil and gas. They advise on topics ranging from market and growth strategy to investment and risk analysis. Their goal is to develop lasting and rewarding relationships with their customers and friends. For more information, visit ClarkEnergyConsulting.com. Our featured event today is the March Madness Tournament, which we're doing here at The Crude Life. We've got all the way down to the Elite Eight. Check it out. I heard Target Hospitality is kind of the lead one right now that oh swan energy is it okay swan energy target hospitality boy around the office here provolone and i we've got some bets going on the side also johnny green earth's champion he's still in it he's still in it all right he's uh got his eco watch for us as well the planet service announcement of course blind joe Thank you very much for being part of our Crude Life Music Crossover. Studio sponsor, Hatch Coaching, and our Bakken Barbecue phone line. As well, our phone line sponsor is Bakken Barbecue. See, sometimes I just get ahead of myself, and we are not going to edit this provolone because we're near the end. I do want to remind you folks that the Crude Life podcast can be heard every Monday through Thursday with a weekend review on Friday. All right, all right, all right. That's going to do it today for the Crude Life podcast. We're going to hand it off to Matthew Hill with Night Energy here in just a second with our daily radio update on the podcast. Provolone, excellent job today from the staff here at the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spies, asking it. Always remember, energy is more than an industry. It's a way of life. The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Matthew Hill with Night Energy. In just a moment, part of our exclusive interview with Matthew Hill with Night Energy right here on the Crude Life Daily Update. Yeah, what kind of response uh, are you getting from people on that request? Because they were public with the request, you know, a couple weeks sure. ago, asking for a twenty-five percent reduction. Yeah, and guess what? They're you know, if they're not asking it because they want to, they're asking it because they they have well, you know, they have wells to take care of, right. whether it be going to get a new one or go and work over an old one. But 
they want to stay operating. They want their partners to stay in business. So they're, you know, they're smart and saying, hey, you know, our partners right now, let's all come together and see if we can go do this cheaper. We know what, what innovations have we made as an industry to make this where it's faster, cheaper, quicker, uh, better. I mean, the, the, all I've seen since I've started in this industry 15, 16, 17 years ago now is able to go and drill uh, more wells with fewer dollars. And that's amazing. I mean, that, that technology and innovation has come just from times like these. Mm-hmm. So, Hey, I'm following I, you. I mean, you, you've, you've seen our, our price sheets. You've seen how we've cut our costs and made it so it's streamlined. So it can be done even from the PR standpoint to, you know, the frack sand pan standpoint to a lot of different standpoints. It's, Depending on where you're going to streamline and where you're going to put your focus and investment, if that makes sense. I mean, yep. like I'm saying, even from my standpoint, I, I did. I, I invest my money. I want to return on my investment as well. You know, and of course, being a, uh, <laughs> as you see on my LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and anything social media, there's really... Uh, you know, I have quite a bit of focus directed at us supporting our industry and making sure that everybody in the entire world understands that oil and gas exploration and development and use as an energy source is really our most reliable, affordable, abundant possibility we have on this planet. And it's my or it's my moral obligation to want to make people's lives better. My, you know, my grandfather was always like, Matt, take care of your bubble. That's your wife and your kids. You know, take care of God. To listen to the full-length interview with Matthew Hill from Night Energy or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. While you're at thecrudelife.com, check out our social media pages as well as our daily podcast. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. To a very considerable extent, the media of mass communications in a given country reflects the political, economic, and social climate in which it grows and flourishes. That is the reason our system differs from the British and the French and also from the Russian and the Chinese. We are currently wealthy, fat, comfortable, and complacent. We have currently a built-in allergy to unpleasant or disturbing information, and our mass media reflect this. But unless we get up off our fat surpluses and recognize that television, in the main, is being used to distract, delude, amuse, and insulate us, then television and those who finance it, those who look at it, And those who work at it may see a totally different picture, too late. I do not advocate the 
Could we turn television into a 27-inch wailing wall where long hairs constantly moan about the state of our culture and our defense? But I would just like to see it reflect occasionally the hard, unyielding realities of the world in which we live. I would like to see it done inside the existing framework. And I would like to see the doing of it redound to the credit of those who finance and program it. Measure the results by Nielsen, Crandex, or Silex, it doesn't matter. <laughs> the main thing, the main thing is to try. The responsibility can be easily placed in spite of all the mouthings about giving the public what it wants. It rests on big business and on big television and it rests on the top. Responsibility is not something that can be assigned or delegated. And it promises its own reward, both good business and good television. Perhaps no one will do anything about it. I have ventured to outline it against the background of criticism that may have been too harsh, only because I could think of nothing better. Someone once said, and I think it was Max Eastman, that that publisher serves his advertiser best, who best serves his readers. I cannot believe that radio and television, or the corporations that finance the programs, are serving well or truly their viewers, or their listeners, or themselves. I began by saying that our history will be what we make it. If we go on as we are, then history will take its revenge, and retribution will not limp in catching up with us. We are, to a large extent, an imitative society. If one or two or three corporations would undertake to devote just a small fraction of their advertising appropriation along the lines that I have suggested. The procedure might well grow by contagion. The economic burden would be bearable, and there might ensue a most exciting adventure. Exposure to ideas and the bringing of reality into the homes of the nation. To those who say, People wouldn't look, they wouldn't be interested, they're too complacent, indifferent, and insulated. I can only reply, there is in one reporter's opinion considerable evidence against that contention. But even if they are right, what have they got to lose? Because if they are right, and this instrument is good for nothing but to entertain, amuse, and insulate then the tube is flickering now, and we will soon see that the whole struggle is lost. This instrument can teach, it can illuminate, yes, and even it can inspire. But it can do so only to the extent that humans are determined to use it to those ends. Otherwise, it's nothing but wires and lights in a box. There is a great and perhaps decisive battle to be fought against ignorance, intolerance, and indifference. This weapon of television could be useful. Stonewall Jackson, 
who is generally believed to have known something about weapons, is reported to have said, when war comes, you must draw the sword and throw away the scabbard. The trouble with television is that it is rusting in the scabbard during a battle for survival. Thank you for your opinion. To listen to the full-length interview, visit thecrudelife.com. And I see people all alone Picking their guitars, playing their songs And I tell them, forget it Cause you can't fake it You're gonna make it You gotta live it The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery To be built in the U.S. in over 40 years Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced Downstream project ever the model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Cause that's my life. Yeah, y'all, and I love it. That's my life. There ain't nothing else in the world above it. And I see people all alone picking their guitars, playing their songs. I tell them, forget it. You can't fake it, you're gonna make it, you gotta live it. We get home from Nashville on a Monday night. Record songs on Tuesday, and on Wednesday we take out the wife. But then on Thursday night, it's back on the road. I don't care if it's North Dakota or Southern Minnesota, just as long as I grow. That's my life, yes, y'all, and I love it. That's my life, there ain't nothing else in the world above it. And I see people all alone, picking their guitars, playing their songs. And I tell them, forget it, cause you can't fake it. If you're gonna make it, you gotta live it. Yeah, brother, you can't fake it. If you're gonna make it, you gotta live it. If you don't hear a fiddle or a steel guitar A hillbilly singing by the honky-tonk bar The bass ain't banging and the vocals are rough Brother, it ain't country, no If it don't tug at your heartstrings and tear at your soul Get you up and dancing, going out of control You hear it on the radio and don't turn it up Brother, it ain't country, no if you can't move to it, groove to it, up and slam some booze to it, party to it all night long. If it ain't about whiskey sipping, guitar picking, tractors, trailers, trucks, or prison, man, it ain't a country song. I'd like them real cool old school bar stool jams. I'm drinking line laughter and love. So if your feet ain't stomping once a band starts a rock, then brother, it ain't country enough. If you hear it and it ain't stuck in your head all day It's got a pop back beat and it's sung the wrong way Charlie Daniels wouldn't dig it, man, Hank Jr. say it sucks Brother, it ain't country, no If instead of using English, you use foreign words 
win a competition that you didn't deserve. Some furco wearing wannabes producing your stuff. And brother, you ain't country enough. If you can't move to it, groove to it, up and slam some boots to it, party to it all night long. If it ain't about whiskey sipping, guitar picking, tractors, trailers, trucks, or prison, man, it ain't a country song. I'd like them real cool old school bar stool times about drinking, lying, laughter, and love. So if your feet ain't stomping once a band starts to rockin', brother, it ain't country enough. Yeah, if your feet ain't jumping once a band starts rockin'. It seems everywhere I go these days, someone is telling me about the success of Hatch Coaching. Listen to what professional speaker Mark J. Lindquist has to say. To see Eric Hatch grow his business and then start to share it with other people, I think is one of those great steps in life. You know, what do you do in society? You succeed at a thing and then you teach other people how you did it. And now to see Eric duplicating his genius across the country. I'm telling you, there's a world changer down the street, and his name is Eric Hatch. For more information, call 701-212-1572 or visit coachingwithhatch.com. That's coachingwithhatch.com. The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday.